Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. We're back for another episode of Positively Dog-Powered, and today we're going to talk about racing with the one and only Nina Baum. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, do you mind introducing yourself for our listeners who might not know you and share a little bit about what you do professionally as well as how you got started in dogs? Sure. So I started dog sled racing when I was six years old. So that means I've been doing it for 21 years now. Uh, I can't believe that I can say I've done something for that long in my life. (laughs) That's probably my most consistent relationship. (laughs) Um. So yeah, as I said, I've been doing it for 21 years and I kind of did a whole slew of dog for sled racing throughout my lifetime. We started out um, more with your Husky mixes, Siberian crosses, and did a little bit more mid-distance. And then when I graduated college, I decided to fully embrace the sprint mushing uh, community and world. So I got my first Grayster. And now I have five of them. <laughs> so you definitely say I embrace the sprint racing. So that's been my main focus, uh, ski drawing, ski drawing and uh, sled class, four dog sled or two dog sled. There's my dog crying at the door. <laughs> Mom, let me in. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Every time I go to talk, I'm going to claw at the door. <laughs> I might have to let the one in. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So my main focuses are ski drawing and two or four dog sled. And then also dry land racing. I really love. So I love doing bike drawer and the scooter class as well. What made that shift for you? What kind of inspired you to go from more of the mid distance to the sprint races? The number of dogs you need to have. Yeah. (laughs) As someone who was graduating from college, going out on my own, getting my own place, having to support myself, it just was not feasible to have a mid-distance kennel at all. Um, so the sprint racing really seemed to tick all the boxes for me. I didn't need to have as many dogs, but I could still be out there doing the sport that I loved. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you see yourself now that you're in sprint racing kind of full in staying there? Do you? Yeah. hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> speed is so much fun. It's so much adrenaline when you're whipping around corners and you're averaging over 20 miles an hour. It's really exciting, especially on skis or on a bike. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us a little bit about some of the races that you've done and kind of some of your career highlights, we'll say up until this point. Uh, so my biggest career highlight was going to Sweden in 2019 on Team USA for the Dryland World Championships. And my next big highlight is going to be going to the Winter World Championships in 2023 in France. Uh, this actually isn't my first time to France. I went there in the summer of 2018 for a huge candy cross race. And by no means am I an amazing candy crosser. I more do it for fun and it's just another class to run. But this race in France was absolutely incredible. It was uh, nine days in the French Alps and you completed 10 different stages throughout those nine days. There was a night stage um, and you switched locations. So we were in three different locations um, for the race. And then at each of those locations, we ran different routes, which was really cool. 
That sounds really neat. I've not heard of anything like that before. So then do they end up averaging your times together for all of the different runs? Yep. You can, uh, you can place for each individual run and then you, there's overall placing for all of them combined. Very cool. Do you enjoy the international travel? Is it stressful? Uh, <laughs> depends when <laughs> you're traveling. Before COVID, it was much easier to travel with your dog. Because um, I had been to France and Sweden with my dogs before COVID to compete. And it was just a lot easier. It was the process was simple. It was straightforward. You knew which airlines were flying dogs, which weren't. There were a lot more airlines that did fly dogs. And now post and well, during and post COVID, it has been incredibly difficult to try and fly dogs. Um, but half the airlines that used to fly them don't anymore. And there seems to be a lot more restrictions, uh, especially on the time of year due to temperatures and all of that kind of stuff too. And the other thing is a lot of the airlines don't even seem to know what their policy is half the time. When you call an agent, you get a different answer from different people. So yeah. it's definitely been a lot more of a hassle now. So it's more of the logistics of kind of getting the team over there necessarily mm-hmm. than kind of the race itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the logistics. So Obviously, as part of any training program for any athlete, you engage in quite a bit of cross-training, and I see you doing all kinds of things without the dogs as cross-training for you as an athlete. Has that cross-training always been a part of your routine, or is that something that you've kind of dove into a little bit more recently? Yeah, so the cross-training was something I really did more recently in the last couple of years. Um, it really started when I decided I wanted to get really competitive. Um especially in bike joring. I had bought this mountain bike to start bike joring three years ago. I had had a different bike and it was okay. And my main focus was the scooter class at that point, but I wanted to do bike joring and get competitive, competitive at it. So I bought a mountain bike and I had never actually like mountain biked in my life on a single track trail. And there was a big mountain biking community here where I live. And so summertime, I really didn't have much to do. And I was like, you know, I'll try mountain biking. I'll go out on one of the group rides. It sounds interesting. So I went and rode single track and I was like, whoa, this is super fun. (laughs) This is a blast. So then I just started to continue to it. And I noticed what a difference it made in my race performance because I was able to corner better. Um, I was able to go faster. My muscles were trained up from all the pedaling and everything. So then I decided to fully embrace mountain biking in the summers, which worked out well because the dogs, that's kind of their off season. Um, I'll still train them on cool mornings, but it's a lot less frequent. So it opened up a lot of time for me to focus on some of my own training. And then as I got more into mountain biking, I ended up just kind of doing some other big races. I did a half Ironman um, and I did a huge mountain bike race this last year. It was 62 miles of single track and it took me like 12 hours. And somehow with a 12 hour, 12 hour time, I finished top 10% for my That's category. huge. That's yeah. huge. That's wild to me to go from like not mountain biking at all to like, you know what, I'm just going to dive head first and do <laughs> some pretty extreme things. Do you feel <laughs> like that solo work and racing on your own has also helped you in terms of like the racing mentality with your dogs? Definitely. Um, it's 
you know, I, the reason why I love like the bike drawer, scooter or ski drawer or the smaller sled classes is because I feel like I also am a part of the team. I'm an athlete. If I'm training well and I'm working hard, it's going to have a significant impact on our performance. So by going and ensuring that I'm training and that I'm in as good of shape or try to be <laughs> as my dogs, um, it's nice to see that impact and the results from it. Yeah. Do you still get nervous for any of these events, whether you're kind of on your own or with your dogs, or do you have kind of your mental management in place now? I'd say the only time I get nervous is probably on a new trail or a new race that I haven't been on before. Um, but otherwise not too much. So, I mean, like when I go to Sweden, I'll be nervous cause it'll be a new trail. I'll want to been there <laughs> or I mean to France. Sorry. When I go to France, I'll probably be nervous because it's a new trail, new location, uh, new people, <laughs> new setting. So when there's a lot of unknowns, I'd say that's probably when I do get nervous. Do you see any nerves from your dogs at all? Or is it kind of same old get in harness and run and have fun for them? They're bomb proof. <laughs> the dogs yeah. don't care. They're just excited. They just, they just want to get out and run and chase some other dogs. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of this cross training you've talked about for you, are you also doing cross training for the dogs or are they just kind of doing free running? What does your program look like for them? So in the off season, we kind of do a random variety of things. I have a fenced in yard uh, so I can go out there with them and we play, we do games, I'll throw the ball, we'll do fetch. Uh, They love fetch in the summers. um, I have started to take some of them swimming there's a lake not too far from me that I can go that has dog friendly trails around it. And I have a couple dogs that like to swim. So I started doing that. And um, I also, when I do mountain bike or go running just on my own, a couple of my dogs are really good off leash. So they get to come with me uh, for that. And then the best part in early spring and in late fall, I have a golf course behind me and it's vacant in early spring and late fall. So I can take my dogs out there for walks um, and I can free run some of them back there as well, which is really fun. That's really nice. Do you think that that, all of that activity not only helps you and them physically, but also mentally and connection wise? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Um, I need to do something with them in their off season. If I don't, my house will get chewed up and destroyed and spit back out on me. So I definitely need to do something with them to keep them mentally engaged. Uh, And another thing I do to mentally engage them is give them like frozen treats in the summers on really hot days where I can't do much with them. But then it takes them a while to get through. I have Kongs that I stuff. Um, I train them to sit, I train them to stay. And I have found the biggest things of training them to sit and stay has actually really helped when I go to hook my dogs up. Um, When I've taught them the term stay, they aren't going crazy trying to pull my bike or pull me before I'm ready. So I can yell at them to stay and they'll, you know, they'll be shaking, but they're staying still. (laughs) It makes it so much easier to hook up when you're just training by yourself. Yeah. I love that. I love that you mentioned too, that mental component, because a lot Mm -hmm. of the times, especially for dogs that are physically fit um, or dogs that are driving us crazy because they have so much energy, we always think of, oh, well, they need to go out and run or we need to go play fetch. But a lot of the times working their brain and teaching them skills, that mental component can tire them out just as much. And like you said, it has huge benefits in terms of actually getting them in harness and getting them out running if we've got a little bit more control over them. And there's kind of some expectations of some rules set there. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps. And I found that it makes it even easier to teach them jihad trail commands too. Absolutely. Once they kind of understand the process of learning and they know what they're supposed to be doing, then it makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. So you've done quite a variety of races over your lifetime, I assume, from, you know, we talked about your mid-distance, now doing sprint. Um, We've talked about some local stuff as well as some international as a racer and competitor, what do you find are the biggest differences as we're looking at maybe a non-sanctioned race for a beginner all the way up to those more competitive sanctioned races? Um, you know, I'd say there's a big difference just from the U.S. to Europe in general, <laughs> how they have races over there. Um, what I found was very interesting when I did the race in France, the, uh, the big canny cross race is that the trails we ran on were treacherous. (laughs) I mean, I sprained my ankles so many times and it got to the point where you just, you just wore an ankle brace uh, on both feet or you taped your ankles for the whole event because you knew if you did not you would probably sprain an ankle. So um, I was just really surprised by like the level of difficulty that they were okay with. Um, And it was really fun, even though I sprained my ankle a lot it was a neat challenge. I really liked that it was challenging. You had to think you couldn't just blindly go out there and run as fast as you could at a sprint. You had to, you know, be strategic on where you placed your foot. Your dog had to understand commands because there were steep downhill sections. And if your dog was pulling, you were going to go head over heels. So you wanted to train your dog to run behind you on those downhill sections. So I had to train my dog, Molly, the command back so that she would actually let up on the line and move behind me on those sections, or some people would trust their dog off leash, but she's a dog I can't have off leash. So I thought that was really neat. It was really a lot of skill involved. Um, You know, I feel a lot of the races around here, it's, um, you know, you have your course and it's very set up. You can't really do anything wrong. Um, And sometimes I wonder if that impacts you know, the quality of our leaders and the training that we do with Jiha. Uh, There's hardly any times where I even need my dogs to know Jiha. And so I'm trying to, with some of the races that I organize, I want there to be a little bit more um, technical skill involved when it comes to racing. It's not just a racetrack. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. When you were looking at the races that you did kind of internationally, and you're talking about difficulty for our people that maybe haven't been to as many races or even haven't competed, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by difficulty besides maybe incline and decline? Were there, um, you know, technical parts of the trail where maybe it was more single track or there were more obstacles? Um, what was the length like in terms of what mm-hmm. you compare to here? Yeah, the races are also longer in Europe than they are here, so, uh, especially in the dry land realm. Um, I've been noticing here in the U.S., we do a lot of, you know, one and a half miles to maximum of two and a half. We don't seem to ever go beyond that, whereas in Europe, a lot of their races are a minimum of a 5K, which I find really interesting that they're doing these longer distances in dry land. And maybe it's colder there during that season. I don't know. Um because I know even here, it, it's it's tough because part of me wants to go further and do a longer race because it's more of a challenge. But I also, the welfare of the dogs, if it's warm out, we obviously can't be doing those distances. And so I don't know if it's just dry land season here tends to skew warmer. And that's why we do the shorter distances. Um, 
because it's very interesting to see that in Europe, they're running longer distances in dry land. So when I'm going to like a world championship event and I've been racing here in the U.S. prior, I'm maybe doing half the distance that I will be there. So in my training, I have to make sure I'm acclimating my dogs to longer distances. Running more technical trails, obviously running longer trails, Mm. they're more physically tired. You have to prepare Mm. them more physically. Are there different things that you are preparing yourself or them for in terms of trail selection and practice here that help prepare them for a more challenging trail mentally? Yes. Uh, I am very fortunate to have a great trail system, uh, not too far from my house that I can go train on. And it has all sorts of different intersections in it. Um, wildlife (laughs) popping up on the trail. I think the biggest thing is teaching those dogs jihad, um, no matter what, because when you're in a race setting, you're never going to know when you need to maybe deviate or the fencing fell down and your dogs want to go one way and oh nope we need to go this way um or there is no fencing it's an open track right so you need your dogs you see the markers and you need to communicate that to your dogs so I really like to um switch up the routes I run at my trail system so I'll never do like the same trail multiple times in a row I will mix it up randomly so that they're having to mentally engage and g and ha and actually think about which direction I want them to go not just doing it because that's what we did yesterday or the day before and then I also like to change up the trail systems that I train at as well to give them a variety and something new so that they get used to a different system, a, a different trail. It, it To me, it mentally makes it much easier for them when they get to a new race. They're just already used to running somewhere new. I imagine that for your older dogs or more seasoned dogs, um, that unpredictability on the trail is probably fun for them. It's probably a little more easier for them because they're used to that. Do you find that it takes a mental toll at all on the younger dogs? Are you ever having to change speed or distance to kind of help them when you're running a more technical trail like that in training? So when I have my younger dogs, I will pair them with my more experienced older leader. And she is very good at kind of adjusting speed, adjusting pace, matching with the dog that she's with, which is incredible. You're not going to always get that kind of a a lead dog to train your younger dogs. And so by pairing them with her, I think it makes it much easier because yeah, as a new young pup, it could be very overwhelming being like, oh my God, where are we going? What are we doing? This you know, I'm being drug around by this other dog <laughs> to do these corners and stuff and by pairing with my most experienced leader. She's not so crazy and nuts in the head. So, you know, when we get to a corner, I like to slow it down, voice the commands, give the you know, younger dog some time to process. And then, then that lead dog will, um, that's training, it will take it in the right direction and pick up on it pretty quick. I like that. So preparing for races, there's obviously quite a bit that you do personally and with the dogs. Um, you are also assisting quite a bit behind the scenes. You mentioned that you are hosting your own races. I know that you're also on the USFSS board. Do you find that that behind the scenes work helps you as an athlete and vice versa? Depends. <laughs> so I'm also on the board for the Wisconsin Trailblazer Sled Dog Club. And so we also put on races too. And within that, I have two races that I would say are my baby or babies that I do a lot of the main organizing for. Um, And I have found at those races, 
I find it more difficult to be competitive when I'm the one doing a lot of the organizing as well. Um, I find that my routine tends to go out the window a little bit because I'm running around doing other stuff to organize the race. Um, even if I have all the volunteers in place and to do everything <laughs> that I need so that I can focus on the dogs, it always seems like something comes up and I'm distracted and pulled away. So I can't fully focus on the actual racing aspect of it, but uh, somebody's got to plan races, right? And somebody's right. got to bring some new things to the scene. <laughs> so I have a lot of fun planning. Um, but as a competitor, it helps in the planning because then I can think of like, oh, this is what I would want, or this is something I wouldn't want. This is something I should think of. I, I should mark the trail this way, or that corner is going to be too tight, or that might be too technical there. It gives a lot of um, insight into race planning. If you are, I know a lot of the races that you're attending now are, you know, kind of events that you've been to in the past. So like you mentioned, you get less nervous. It's easier for you to handle it because you kind of know what to expect. But I think a lot of people, especially attending their their first race or attending a race that is new to them, those nerves can kind of pop back up. As a seasoned uh, musher yourself, are there certain things that you like to get in terms of information from a race prior to racing that kind of help you mentally prepare for that event? Yeah. So obviously my first race was 21 years ago, so it's hard for me to remember what information I really wanted at that time. But um, I've been helping a lot of new people get into the sport and helping them with their first time races. And then I think about also well, how did I feel when I did my first mountain bike race? How did I feel when I, cause that was a lot more recent. How did I feel when I did my first half Ironman? And the thing that I really liked about all those races when I was a first timer was just all the information they gave you ahead of time like a race packet. And we don't seem to really, or like a PDF, like race overview document and stuff, just outlining a lot of those details. Cause I feel like oftentimes us as mushers and race organizers, we tend to kind of forget what, people don't know uh, because we're just so used to it and exposed to it. So for the Monaco race this last year, I put together a race packet and it included a bunch of information that anyone who's new to the sport would not know, like basic main rules. Like, oh, you've got to have a helmet if you're going to be on bike chore. I mean, it seems so obvious to us, but it might not be to someone new. Um, the line lengths for somebody new, they have, they don't know the ISRA rules and where to find them really. Um, and so, and then I linked in, I put a link to the actual ISDA rules so people could review, um, passing rules, you know, all this stuff that someone new is not going to know. So, and then even like where to park, where race packet pickup is when you actually come in and get your bib. Some races do things differently. Some races you hand in your bib after the first day and you get a new one the second day. Some of them you don't. So there's a lot of these little things that is someone who's new to it. I would probably drive me crazy not to know it. <laughs> so I'm trying to think in advance, like what can we send mushers? What information can we provide them so that when they come to the race, they feel prepared and they're not blindsided by something because we didn't give them enough information. I think that's really nice. I think, you know, watching sign up numbers for a lot of the races, numbers have increased quite a bit in the one dog classes, which is great. But then we've got a lot of new people coming into the sport. And I think if you don't know, that can increase anxiety for me prepping for something. The more I know, the better, because then I can kind of make sure I have all of my gear organized. I can make sure that mentally I know what the rules are and what to expect. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really important. Um, and if, you know, you were signing up for a race and didn't have that information, try to contact somebody so that you could ask those questions ahead of time and be prepared for it. 
Yeah, a lot of the information that went into my packet was a result of people who were first timers ask, emailing me questions and asking me like, well, what's this? Or how do I do this? And I was like, you know, why don't we just do a, like a PDF document that I send out to everybody with all these details ahead of time. And yeah, <laughs> so- if one person has the question, you know, somebody else does and they might just not, not know who to ask or might be embarrassed to ask. Exactly. Now, as a more seasoned competitor yourself, prepping for races looks a little different than, you know, a first timer. So if you are preparing for, you know, coming up to worlds, um, are there certain things that you like to get information wise in terms of course? Yeah, definitely. You want distance, you want elevation. It's really nice to have the GPS file to see the corners and the routes because a lot of times, like I said, you never know what can happen out on the trail. Fencing can blow over. It can be a windy day. Um, anything can happen. They can forget to switch something on the trail. It happens. So I like to know where the trail goes, have that kind of mentally already in my head so that when I'm out there, I know where to tell the dogs to go if I need to, or if there is a questionable location, like, oh, is the trail supposed to go that way or this way? Um, You can adjust (laughs) and make the right decision. I have had that happen where I've gone the wrong way. I did it this last year at the ski joring national championships Thought I knew the trail, uh, thought I'd prepared. I made the mistake of following the person in front of me. And as soon as I made that turn the wrong way, I was like, oh no, I went the wrong way. I know it, this isn't right. This doesn't look familiar. We weren't supposed to do this left. We're supposed to stay right. And just completely spaced and followed the person in front of me. So, And it cost me my placing on the first day. That's got to be tough. But I imagine that coming into a race like that, too, there's only so much preparing you can do ahead of time by just looking at a map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're not always going to be able to pre-run the trail. Um, in a lot of races, it's not allowed. Some, you know, it helps if you nearby and you train on that system. So, yeah, you're not always going to be able to get to run the trail um, in advance. So that's where I like to have all that information ahead of time. Now, coming up to races, do you set goals for yourself and for your team? Um, My goal is to always have a good run. Um, If that results in placing, that's amazing. If it doesn't, that's okay. For me, it's just about having a good, clean run. And if I know we did the best we did, that's fine with me. (laughs) Um, Winning to me is just like a byproduct of having a good run and um, having a good connection with your dogs. Now, prepping for small teams, you know, you mentioned that kind of two to four dog sled and ski jar were things that you really enjoyed. And as people are starting to move from one dog to two dog, two to three, we can start to make those choices about who to run solo, who to hook up in teams, who to place as leaders. Are there certain physical and mental attributes that you look for in your dogs when determining kind of what, um, what section of the sport they should run in, if they're better as one dogs, what do you kind of look for in them? Yeah, so I look at uh, mental knowledge, so that would be commands, jihaw. Um, I look at their speed. Um, will they match up well with another dog? So for example, this year I actually switched up my lineup and it was because my one dog, Memmi, who's younger, this is her second season racing now, she exploded in speed from last year to this year. So the dog I had her paired with last year, which was a dynamite duo, we won it everything in two dog scooter with those two they were just incredible together somehow memmy got faster this year and is now 
too fast for Carrot uh, to run with comfortably. And Carrot had a ACL um, injury. She didn't tear it, but she strained it over the summer. So she's not quite in the same shape that she was last year either. So matching those two just was not working. It was too stressful for Kara because it was hard for her to keep up. And Memmi is frustrated because she wanted to go faster. So it wasn't fair to either of them to have them together. So I decided to switch things up. And now that Memmi's in her second season of racing, she is... She knows trails a lot better. She knows commands a lot better. So I decided to give her the chance to run solo. And it was incredible. It totally switched up the team dynamic. And we did so much better because of that. And she was able to open up. She was able to fly, do what she wanted and excel, which is fantastic. And then I put my um, my more seasoned leader, Molly, who's actually Carrot's sister, with Carrot for them to run together. And even though Molly's still a bit faster than Carrot, Molly's my one that'll match the other dog. She's not going to um, push anyone too hard and stuff. I mean, she still has drive and she's going to go, but she she's just smart. <laughs> so putting those two together really helped. Um, Carrot was less stressed then and Carrot felt like, you know, she could run. And, and then those two, the energy just worked really well this season and we we're able to win as well. Do you ever run into a situation where, you know, maybe you're training everybody as a team and not everybody is matched in terms of speed or kind of mental capacity. How do you adjust training in that regard if the dogs aren't self-adjusting? Yeah. So in the winter time, I like to train my dogs on the sled a lot so I can get all of them out at once. Um, I'll run four or five on the sled. I have one dog who really does not like to keep up with my other fast hounds. He's got a lot more Alaskan Husky in him. And um, I call him my mellow, easy dog because I can do, he's like my fun dog. I get to go backpacking with him. He's going to be off leash and he has a lot of other great things. You know, he doesn't get cold in the winter. That's fantastic. No jackets for him. He's easy, low maintenance. He makes it possible for me to have five dogs. Um, yeah. And so a lot of times he'll get to free run with my team. Like I'll hook my other four hounds up who are faster and a little bit more matched. And then he can free run, um, which is fun for them too. They like to chase and um, have fun with that. But I will hook him into the team too. I'll put him in wheel and, um, or in lead with my, he can lead too. And what I'll do then is if they're going too fast, I just put on the brakes a little bit. So then the other dogs are trying to go faster. They're getting more of a strength training workout. So a lot of your dogs, you know, physically are very similar. They're very similar in size. You've mentioned that they're pretty um, similar in terms of speed. So when that's the case, are there other things that impact that decision to kind of pair versus one dog, two dog and four dog teams for you? Uh, well, they're all related too. <laughs> that helps for consistency. <laughs> it does. They're all semi-related, um, which is neat. I got them all out of Mike Marsh. So it's all the same breedings, essentially just slightly different variations. Um, so, I mean, that does help a lot when pairing. They all kind of have the same mentality, same physical mm -hmm. aspects and stuff. Um, I'd say those are probably the main things I look for. Obviously, you want your dogs to get along. But what is kind of interesting with last year when I was running Mem, me and Carrot together, they both wanted to be alpha female. And so at home, they would get into tiffs with each other, growl at each other and all this stuff. Um, but then when I put them together on a team, 
they like took that competitiveness and worked really well together like they were competing against each other so they drove each other to like run even harder um so that was an interesting combo that I had never expected I had put them together to help them get along I was like well if right. you're gonna run together and work as a team together maybe you'll work out some of your issues <laughs> at home and it turned into they actually were a dynamite team because they were competing against the other <laughs> did that end up improving their relationship at home you know, I think it slowly did. So when you are structuring your runs at home, obviously time of year has an impact um, and age has an impact. How much of the training with the dogs are you doing one-on-one versus taking larger groups out together? Well, when I decided after college to transition into sprint racing, I got my first dog, Molly. And so I just had her solo so it was a lot of one-on-one training with her. Um, at the time, we, we had a couple old retired leaders back from, you know, the more mid-distance days that I was able to hook up with her when she was little, um, you know, not quite as fast or driven, but as soon as she got full-grown, they couldn't keep up with her anymore at all. And so it was a lot of one-on-one training. But I still found that, like, having another dog to mentor – your younger dog is huge. Cause then in that first racing season, Mike Marsh loaned me um, one of his more seasoned leaders. And even, and that dog just really taught Molly. Speak of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> that seasoned leader really taught Molly to focus. And then that would have been so hard to do without another dog to teach her because we would be doing our first ski draw races and like the Doty race, there's some switchbacks. So you can see the other teams across halfway across the field and Molly's like oh other team let's cut across the trail and Oli the season season leader um was like no we're gonna run straight and would keep her going straight and now she's the one dragging the puppy to go straight when we're training so it's kind of cool how that comes full circle you definitely need I feel like you need it's a lot it's really helpful to have that other dog (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah because a lot of the learning certainly comes from you and what you can provide the dogs but a lot of it can be associative learning from the other dogs next to them kind of giving them that confidence and focus um when you are working with your dogs you know like you run a lot of one dog classes as well can across um, scooter bike tour do you work those dogs individually at home quite a bit on their own or is a lot of their work done with the team as well uh, a lot of their training is done with the team to begin with, um, just so that they get that learning from the older dogs. And I think it's good for them to learn to run in a team. It's not always, you know, solo, do whatever you want <laughs> type of thing. Um, so I do a mix, probably. Um, I'll run all my dogs as a team. I'll run them solo. I'll run them as um, duos. I'll do four, two, and one. Um, just mix it up. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just get them exposed to running and different settings. I have some dogs that don't really like to run solo. Um, my dog carrot, she will run lead with another dog. No problem for me solo. She'll do it, but she doesn't love it. <laughs> She's, you know, looking around, She's a little more anxious. So it depends on the personality of the dog too. Not every dog is going to be a single leader and you have to recognize that and play to their strengths and not try to force them into being something they're not. Do you find yourself, especially when training a a younger dog or kind of building your teams for the season for the first time, doing a lot of trial and error to figure out where everybody likes to be? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm mixing things up a lot. See what works, what doesn't, um, you know, I'll time my runs and everything and I'll look at them after and be like, Oh, interesting. This team went faster than what I would have thought was going to be my fast team this year. And, um, yes, yeah, so you do have to do some trial and error. It was, like I said, you know, this year I discovered that the lineup I had last year wasn't working. I had to change it. And so then I had to switch things around in between races um, in my training to see what would work. And I was like, okay, this works. And then I went forward with it at the next race and we did really well. <laughs> I like that. So for anyone who is just getting started and starting to, you know, attend their first races, maybe looking to kind of up their game, do you have any tips for them in terms of their training or racing? Find a mentor, <laughs> ask questions. Oh my gosh, that's the biggest thing. Ask another musher who's been in the sport for a while, a lot of questions, because there's going to be so much that you're going to try to figure out on your own. And you're going to go through all the same mistakes that we all did. And that took us years to figure out and learn, ask somebody so you can avoid all of that. <laughs> and don't go buy a fluffy husky or get fluffy husky from the shelter that you think is a sled dog because that's what's in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, my biggest thing is to anyone getting into it, really do your research, come to a race first um, and, you know, ask questions, get as much information as you can. Mushers are always willing to help and always willing to answer questions. We don't want to put new mushers through, you know, the learning curve we had to go through. I remember when we first started, I mean, it was so, so all over the place, no clue what we were doing. And it was incredible to find a mentor and someone to kind of help you out along the way, because it is not a sport you pick up overnight. And I think yeah. a lot of people don't necessarily realize that right away. It's like, oh, I'm going to bike with my dog or something. And there's so much that goes into it. Even going from running huskies to my hounds, there was a learning curve. There was things that I didn't realize I was supposed to do that just because their bodies were different. Um, and you know, you think of a hound, shorter fur, you're like, Oh, they're not going to overheat. Well, they overheat easier than the huskies because they work like so much harder and their metabolisms run so differently that they are actually at higher risk of overheating. And I didn't know that when I transitioned. So just having a mentor, someone to help out, ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And if you already have like your own pet dog that you want to do it with and you know, you're not really interested in buying, you know, top of the line dog or anything like that. Um, still a lot of that information transfers over even just to your pet. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping everybody safe while out running. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to chat with us. Oh, thank you. It's fun. I always enjoy sharing any information that I can. Wonderful. Thanks again to Nina for joining us for that nice chat. She certainly is full of information and we're so glad she was willing to share it with us. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider leaving us a review. We enjoy reinforcement as well in the terms of five-star reviews. So head over to your podcast platform and let us know how you've been enjoying the episodes. If you want a little more from the podcast, we'd love for you to join our patron community. You can head over to www.patreon.com forward slash positively dogpowered to get some more behind the scenes access and special content from both me for training and our special guests. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.